Good day, Grace Orange. Open your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3 is where we'll be today. If you don't have a Bible, there is a blue one in a seat back near you. You can keep it as our gift. This sermon is called The Sacred Word. God changes us by His sacred word. The sacred is a biblical word related to the word for temple, a holy place where God dwells. God indwells His people, does His sovereign work, changes them by His sacred word. Today, my goal is that you would know how amazing God's word is, and that you would feel the need to know it, and that you would do what it says as a hearer and doer of the word on a daily basis. And today, we are setting our minds on the sacred word, and I'm praying that it will be life-altering. So let's stand together, if you're able, out of respect for God and his word. I'm going to read 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 14, to chapter 4, verse 4. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. I charge you, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Lord, we pray that you would have your way in our hearts today, Lord, that we would have our eyes opened by you that we would see wonderful things in your word. We pray all for your glory. In Christ's name, amen. Have a seat. We all know we should, but we don't always do it. Sometimes when we do, we forget it's more than checking a box, more than an empty exercise, more than doing our duty. We forget that it's about a relationship with our creator and our sustainer and our Lord. We forget it's the means whereby God grows us in grace and the knowledge of Jesus Christ. We forget it's how we grow in regard to salvation. And I'm talking about hearing and doing the word of God. Not just reading the Bible, not just memorizing verses, not just doing devotions. But knowing the truth of God's word and feeling the need to know and do it and then actually doing what it says in the Spirit's power. The two most life-changing ideas to me after coming to faith in Christ was that Jesus is God and the Bible is completely true. Those were life-changing ideas to me. And God has used those and more to shape my love for him and for his word. When I was a new believer, I was at a relative funeral once, and the person leading was twisting the word of God. 
was ignoring the gospel, was saying that you could work your way to heaven. And so here I am, a 20-year-old, brand new believer, and I, I went up to him after the service. And I said, what you were saying today isn't accurate from the Bible. It, it wasn't, it, it's not true according to what the Bible says. And he got angry at me. He turned my, my comment into a personal attack. In fact, he said about my relative, he said, you know, he was a good man. And look how many people are here at his funeral. You will never have this many people at your funeral. Conversation over. And I grew up in a religious context with leaders holding similar views. I said to one leader at the church I grew up, a liberal Protestant denomination, there was a seminary student there that was doing some part-time youth work at our church. And I said, as a brand new believer, I said, isn't it amazing that God's word is completely true? And I just assumed that he was going to agree with me, but he said, well, Mike, that's a matter of opinion. And then he went on to tell me how he didn't think the Bible was reliable. There was an older man at my church, at that same church, that in the, in the same span of probably about six months, I said to him, you know, I am going to read through the Bible in a whole year. I'm going to read through the whole Bible in a whole year. And his response was, you know, that's, that's something you'll get over. That's a, that's a phase you're going through that you'll get over. Probably the last straw was my pastor teaching an adult Bible class, and he was teaching in Acts chapter 2, and he got to the point where Peter is preaching on the day of Pentecost and says, God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. At that moment, I, I raised my hand in the class and I said, isn't it awesome that Jesus is God? And my pastor said, well, Mike, that's a matter of opinion." And he proceeded to tell me that when he was in seminary, he debated one of his professors and took the position that Jesus wasn't God and won the debate. And I couldn't believe it. He didn't believe what the Bible said about Jesus. But God used those, those situations and more to, to strengthen my resolve regarding the word of God. Now, before I was a believer, I had been the same way, actually worse I didn't trust the word of God. I didn't believe the word of God. I didn't obey the word of God. But when I became a believer, when I became a Christian, everything changed. I loved Jesus, so I loved the word of God. People who love Jesus love the word of God. And I couldn't get enough. I wanted to read it all the time, every day. And at first, here's how it went. You probably have experienced this. I wanted to read it every day, but a few days would go by and I would forget. But as time went on, a daily discipline was built because I was convinced that I needed to know and do the word of God. And that has been strengthened over the years by the grace of God. I have the privilege to, to preach the word of God, but I am, I am burdened. I am burdened that people would hold God and his word in high esteem. That's not how it is in the Christian community all the time. God's word is not always held in highest esteem. But the word of God is our lifeline. God speaks to us through his word. We speak to him in prayer. This is why we fill our hearts and our homes and the household of God with the word of God. Because we know what the early church believed. It is the word of life. It is the word of life. 
I say this often, the Spirit of God uses the Word of God in the lives of the people of God for the glory of God and the good of God's people. So this goal that you would know how amazing God's Word is and that you would feel the need to know it more and then choose daily to do what it says, to be a hearer and a doer of the Word of God, is a a goal that God has for all of us. You can't do this, though, without Jesus. You can't, you know, not believe in Jesus and be saved by him. You can't can't do that. You can't say, I'm I'm an unbeliever, but I'm going to do this. I'm going to, like, get into the Bible, and it's going to make me a better person. That's not going to be, that's not going to be possible. You can't do this without Jesus. If you reject God's revelation of himself in Christ, then you reject the word of God. If you allow yourself to take center stage or allow anything else to rule, you give in to the false god of this world. You give in to Satan. Every person is either destined to destruction or chosen in Christ. Those chosen in Christ are going to hear the gospel call and respond in faith. So when I say over and over again, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, and you say, I don't want to believe in the Lord Jesus and I don't want to be saved, you know where you're at. To be very clear. The Bible tells us very clearly that Jesus died for our sins in our place at the cross and was buried and on the third day rose from the dead and he, is, he ascended to the Father and he is coming back. So believe in the Lord Jesus, Jesus who said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. Know that you can't save yourself. Know that you can't forgive yourself. Know that you can't make yourself the person that God intends for you to be. And know this, when you're there, when you're like, hey, I believe in Jesus. I I, I know I'm saved. It's a whole life proposition. It costs you everything. It demands every ounce of you. This is where you say, the Bible is now my compass for the rest of my life. I will go to no other well. I will seek no other savior. I will seek no other sustenance for my soul. I will not seek more than what has been written. I will, I will seek to understand what has. I will appropriate it into my life. I will abide by it. I will trust it. I will obey it because I'm in an eternal relationship with the God of the universe revealed in the Lord Jesus Christ. What else could I do? And so I want to drive your attention to what this passage reveals and primarily it reveals the character and the work of the word of God. The character and the work of God's sacred word. I want you to notice first, though, sandwiching this beautiful depiction of Scripture are dire warnings of a coming danger looming. Chapter 3, 2 Timothy chapter 3 begins in verse 1, understand this, that in the last days, difficult times will come. People will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, and so on. It's saying, avoid these kind of people. Avoid the kind of people that are lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. They have the appearance of godliness, but they deny the power. This is a hearer, but not a doer of the word. And then it goes on in verse 13 to say that evil men and imposters will proceed from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. That the evil of false teachers that is really 
outlined in the first nine verses of chapter 3 will worsen until Christ returns. It's not getting better. And so many of the biblical indictments are true today of many. In the Old Testament, God says, my people have forgotten me days without number. That there is a famine in the land for hearing the word of God. That my people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Proverbs 13, 13, he who neglects the word will be in debt to it. But maybe the most alarming trend, which is ever-present today, are people who are expert at gathering for themselves ear-tickling teachers, demanding to hear what they want to hear to get permission to live the way they want to live. And so 2 Timothy 4, verse 4 says, the time is coming. When people will not endure sound teaching, doctrine, they won't tolerate straightforward preaching of the word. They will have itching ears. They will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. They'll have itching ears and itching desires and will find preachers to entertain them with feel-good teachings to feel good about themselves. And they will turn away from listening to the truth and they will wander off into myths, fables, fairy tales, false views, philosophies opposing sound teaching, and it's dangerous. Go back over to chapter 3, verse 8. There are two names, two people listed, Janus and Jambres. Now, these are two Egyptian magicians. Up until this point, they are not mentioned in the Bible at all. They are the two magicians that opposed Moses. And their names up to this point, not mentioned in the Bible, but God gives their names here in the context of either accepting and believing and doing the word of God or not. God gives their names here. God remembers everyone's name and everyone's thoughts and actions. You know, everyone may forget you, but God remembers. The judgment day is going to reveal a lot of things that history forgot. So we have to stay grounded solidly in Scripture as the cornerstone of our faith. Believe the truth. Not just believe it, but live it. Now, when people are talking in Christian circles, sometimes this kind of thing is said. Some people will say this. There is a special place in hell reserved for people who commit and then they'll pick a sin that's extremely heinous and say there's a special place in hell for people who commit those kinds of sins i don't know about that but what i do know is there is a steep cost for rejecting god and his word and causing believers to stumble and there is an epidemic of ignorance of the word of god not knowing the word of god And there is an epidemic of knowing the word of God, but not doing it. So I want to remind you today what the word of God is like. How amazing the word of God is. The nature of the word of God. But we're not going to stop just with the nature of the word of God. We're not going to fall into the trap of saying, well, we know something and not go ahead and live it, not have it be displayed in our life. Not just the nature of the word of God, but the nurture of the word of God in your heart and life. How the spirit of God uses the word in your life. How how the word lived 
makes a difference in your life. Now, this is not an academic exercise of things you should know about God, though these are things you should know about God. Lots of people know lots of things about God, and they don't live it in their life. You look at the observable life, and you're like, everything they say they believe, I don't think they really believe. So this is not an academic exercise of things you should know about the Word, though you should know these things about the Word. This is an experiential exercise where you take everything you know about the Word and you put it into action in your life by the Spirit's power. We are not marionettes. We are thinking, choosing people. And we need to choose daily what is good. And it starts with the right understanding of God revealed in His Word. God is holy. God is righteous. God is just. God is kind. God is loving. God is gracious. God is merciful. God is good. He's all-powerful. He's all-knowing. He's all-present. This points out to us why the Word is so important. We find that out by reading the Word of God. So the character and work of God's sacred Word is crucial. They're called the sacred writings. Notice that. They're called the sacred writings. There's a reason for that. Verse 15 from childhood, you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, also known as Holy Scripture. That's a common code word for the Old Testament by Greek-speaking Jews. They would call, it the, they call, them, call the Old Testament the sacred writings or the Holy Scriptures. So today, I want to think about this and, and go through this passage with you, but thinking about the sacred writings give you what is hopefully a memorable acrostic along those, those letters for, in sacred, okay, S-A-C-R-E-D. But what I want to do is point out what this passage tells us about God and his word. What this passage tells us about the word of God, six truths about the word of God, and hopefully there's something you can remember. So the first thing I want to point out, S, is that it, the word of God is sufficient. The word of God is sufficient. Now, there are, all the words I'm going to give you are probably words you have used to describe the word of God. The problem is, someone may say the word of God is sufficient and then go live in a way that doesn't match up with that profession. So we could say the word of God is sufficient, but do we really believe that it's sufficient? And also, many people say the word of God is sufficient and they don't even know what they just said. What does that mean that the word of God is is sufficient? Boil it all down, it means it's all you need. In your spiritual life. It's all you need. Psalm 19 talks about how God's word is perfect and sure and clean and right and pure and enduring and righteous. And it's basically giving a multifaceted look at how sufficient the word of God is. It's exactly what we need. So when we say the word of God is sufficient, what we mean by the sufficiency of scripture is that the Bible contains all the words of God that he wanted us to have for salvation and growth. Everything you need for trusting and obeying God. It's right here in the 66 books of the Bible. You don't have to wonder, like, well, well, is there something else I need? Is there some other pamphlet? Is there some other manual? Is there somewhere else I need to go to know what it is I need to know for salvation and for growing in Christ? The word of God is sufficient. The scriptures are sufficient in in the sense that they are the only 
It was given once for all. The only inspired and inerrant words of God that we need. They're the only ones that exist in order to know the way of salvation. As this passage says, that they're able to make you wise for salvation. And it's the, they're the only ones that give the way of obedience. It, it says here in verse 17 that you will be equipped for every good work. Equipped for every good work. That the Bible is sufficient to equip you for every good work. Now, we all have favorite authors. I have bookcases lined, shelves lined with books. And isn't it easy when you're reading a Christian book to, to ignore the Bible as it's reprinted in a Christian book and to put so much stock in the author's words? Now, we can be encouraged. We can be pointed to the word and all that. But those words don't have the sufficiency that the word of God has. God has given us everything pertaining to life and godliness, and it's within the 66 books of his word. It is sufficient. It is all-inclusive. It is comprehensive. Our hope in Christ is contained in Scripture's truths. If you're a believer, God has placed you where he has placed you for such a time as this, that you would shine the light of the gospel brightly, that, that, that the, the light of the gospel would shine brightly from your life as you both cling to the word of God and hold forth the word of life. But there are many in the body of Christ who have been infected by the idea that God's word is not sufficient. And so they seek new revelation from God outside of Scripture. Everything I know about Jesus, I found in the Word of God. It's my anchor. Apart from Scripture, we do know that God created the world. We know in his general revelation, he has made himself known. That's why Romans 1 says you're without excuse if you reject God and his existence. But you cannot know the way of salvation, and you cannot know the full character of God apart from Scripture. It is impossible. There are people that will say, well, the Bible contains the word of God. Like, there are parts in it that are the word of God and parts that aren't. People will say, you know, the Bible is subject to man's mind. They'll say the Bible changes with the times. They'll say the Bible doesn't really mean what it says. They'll say the Bible is just another book. Those are all false, blasphemous views of the word of God. Bible-believing believers say the Bible is the very word of God. Period. The sacred writings. The sacred writings, which verse 15 says, are able. That's a very strong word, able. It's the Greek word dunamai. It's, where it's, it's the same the word that's used in, in Romans 1.16 when Paul said uh, the, the gospel is the power of God for salvation. They are, which are power, the sacred writings which are powerful to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. So the word of God is sufficient. You have all you need. The next one, A, is it's authoritative. It's authoritative. And you boil that one down, it means you must obey it. You have no option on this one. You, you must obey it. Now, we know that authority gets wrongly used in the world among humans. Uh, we know that when we use authority wrongly, it, it, we are mistaken and, and off base. 
But when we talk about the authority of Scripture, again, people will say, well, the word is sufficient, and it's also authoritative. And, and there's plenty of Christians that will say, yeah, the word is authoritative, but not in their life, <laughs> not in their experience. The authoritative means you must obey it. The authority of Scripture means that all the words are God's words, and disobeying or not believing any part of Scripture means you're disobeying or not believing God. All the words are God's words, and disobeying or not believing any part of Scripture means disobeying or not believing God. God's word is supreme over all other communication. It's authoritative. That's why we say it's authoritative. It's an immovable, eternal rock. It's not budging. It's not shifting. It's ironclad. It's eternal. Isaiah 40, verse 8, the, the grass withers, the flower falls off, the word of our God stands forever. It's not going to move. The anchor's going to hold. Now, someone may say, well, you know, I'm unaware of God's standards, so I'm not bound to obey it. You might argue this. You might say, well, ignorance of God's word means I don't need to abide by it. That's like saying you're not bound by civil laws that you aren't aware of. See where that gets you in a court of law or a routine traffic stop. God's word is binding on our conscience. God's word is binding on our conscience. If God, the highest authority, has given us his word, it must have authority over us. It must. Again, among people, people are claiming illegitimate authority. They're exercising unbiblical power. Of course, people are doing this. But God is the one true authority. And all binding authority comes only from God. We know this. We know what God does in the life of a believer. He leads you by the Holy Spirit. He providentially orchestrates the events of your life. He uses his word to direct and guide you. Your steps are ordered by him. Romans 10 says the word is near you, in your heart. But the word doesn't come from your heart. The word is objective. It comes from outside of you. This is like the psalmist in Psalm 119 saying, Lord, I have hidden your word in my heart so I would not sin against you. So Romans 10, the word is near you and in your heart because you heard it and you received it. But it comes from outside of you, from God. It's objective. Your experience is not authoritative. You cannot build absolute truth on your experience. Your experiences don't give you authority. No word outside the Bible has spiritual authority. My words in a sermon are not authoritative. The word of God is. Scripture is. Only the word of God, applied by the spirit of God, can save you and sanctify you and secure you forever in Christ. God's word is sufficient. God's word is authoritative. We must obey it. And then see, it is clear. It is clear. You can understand it. Because you've got, as a believer, you've got the Holy Spirit, you can understand it, you can grasp it. Well, what do we mean when we say the word of God is clear? Because there's a lot of things in the Bible that are hard to understand. When we say that the, the Bible is clear, 
It means that everything necessary for salvation is clear in Scripture. And there are truths that all Christians of all times have believed. The gospel has not changed. The clarity or perspicuity of Scripture does not deny that some passages of Scripture are difficult to understand. Peter talked about some of Paul's writings that way in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. He said, hey, some of Paul's writings are hard to understand. And the unstable and evil people distort those things for their, to their own ruin? As they do the rest of scriptures, Peter says. He, he, he considered what Paul wrote as scripture. Well, the clarity of scripture means that anyone who's a believer who studies the word of God can discern the basic message of salvation and know what it means to please the Lord. It's clear. It's, it's like a, a high beam on your car, on a dark road. It's like a big spotlight illuminating the darkness that everything you must believe to be a follower of Jesus is in Scripture and no other source. Now, you might see quotes of Scripture elsewhere. God's Word is perfect. It will never fade away. But human attempts to twist the Scriptures, those will fade away. Be comforted by that truth. The scriptures are able to make us wise to salvation, it says. Think about the Old Testament. The Old Testament pointed to Christ, pointed to faith in the Messiah. The scriptures led people to confess their sins and their need for salvation in Christ by the Holy Spirit using the word. But it says here in 2 Timothy chapter 3, it says it's able to make you wise, verse 15, for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. Faith in Christ Jesus. Even Peter said this. He said this about the, the, the prophets. They didn't know all the details, but they knew who they were speaking of. The Old Testament believers, even like Abraham and like Moses, they anticipated the coming Messiah and his sacrifice for sin. And so did Timothy. Here's Timothy brought up in the, on the Old Testament, and he responded by faith when he heard the gospel. James chapter 1, verse 21 says, Put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. Verse 22, but be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. The word of God is clear. Everything you need to know about salvation is clear in the word. It's sufficient, it's authoritative, it's clear. You can understand it, you can grasp it. And R, it is reliable. It is reliable. You can trust it. You can trust the word of God. You can trust it. Go to verse 14 again. But as for you, continue, abide, remain in what you have learned and have firmly believed. You have, you have seen that the word of God has proven to be reliable in your life and you're convinced of the power of the word of God. Are you convinced of the power of the word of God? You need to be convinced of how amazing the word of God is and how powerful the word of God is. I hope you've seen it change your life. I hope you've seen it change others' lives. It is reliable. And I want to point out three characteristics of Scripture under this idea of reliable. And they're words we use often. There's words I use often. One is a Bible word. Two of them are words based on biblical truth. Inspiration, inerrancy, infallibility. So the first word I'll point out to you is inspired. That's a Bible word. All Scripture, verse 16, is inspired, breathed out, it's theopneustos in Greek. It's breathed out by God. It's, it's 
God breathed. It's given by inspiration of God. All scripture, both the Old Testament and the New Testament, breathed out by God, inspired by God. Here's what God did. He took the minds and the words and the lives of men. He used those minds and words and lives of men to produce his inspired, inerrant, infallible word. Scripture writers were not inspired. The scripture was. When scripture speaks, God speaks. It is from God. 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 20 and 21 give us some, some ample evidence. It says that we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you would do well to pay attention. And it basically says pay attention until Jesus comes back. It's this important. No prophecy of scripture comes from one's own interpretation for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So we don't have human opinions, but the words of God. They wrote exactly what God, the divine author, intended. It's inspired by God. Next, we have two words that are not in the Bible, but explain the reality. Very similar words, and they kind of overlap. Inerrant. That means the Bible is 100% true in everything it affirms in its original manuscripts. It's never wrong. It contains no errors. It's completely correct. Scripture does not teach anything that is untrue. Titus 1-2 says God never lies. Proverbs 30 verse 5 says every word of God proves true. It is inerrant. And then the third word is infallible, similar to inerrant, but it means the Bible will never mislead you. It's never going to mislead you. So if you think of inerrant and infallible, think of a sign along the road as you're out on the highway going cross country or something, and the sign tells you how many miles it is to go to a certain town. And then you go in that direction, and what you find is you get there because it didn't lead you astray. The Bible will never mislead anyone. It will never lie. There is no possibility of error. It's doubling down on inerrancy. Infallibility doubles down on inerrancy. The Bible always tells the truth about everything it talks about. This is why Jesus said, John 17, 17, your word is truth. 100% without falsehood, never false, will never mislead you. 100% reliable, never fail to be true. That's why Jesus said in John 10, 35, the scripture cannot be broken. The scripture cannot be broken. It is reliable. It's like a compass. It's, it's like this compass that will always lead you perfectly and accurately the times in which we live, there are anti-biblical people that are going to tell you, and it's, it's being said left and right, that to be a good citizen, you must start without a set of values. Like, don't bring the Bible to the table. Just empty your mind and start with a secular mindset. So anti-biblical people will say, you know, you've got to have a, 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 a no set of values as a starting point. What we say is, oh, you should start with a common set of biblical values that you bring to every table. And, and what you do is you come with that common set of biblical values and, and then you say, how do these beliefs affect the way I choose to live? It's called a biblical worldview, a compass calibrated to the word of God where you see life through the lens of scripture and you let scripture dictate your values and your vision and your vocation, and your, your version of reality because you match it up with God's version of reality. 
There's a lot of Christians who would say, you know, I believe the Bible is, is sufficient and authoritative and clear and reliable, and they are living their life based on a completely different set of values. It's like the air conditioning's on, the windows are open, and it's just getting sucked out. We have to let Scripture dictate what we believe and then how we live. Left to our own devices, we are going to go astray. This is the way humans are. We, we must depend upon the written word of God. We must take every word of all 66 books by faith. It's sufficient, it's authoritative, it's clear, it's reliable. You can trust it, but it is also essential. Essential, you have to have it. You must have it. The word is absolutely essential for your life and your salvation. Notice that it says it's profitable. Notice in, in verse 16, it's profitable, literally useful. What's it profitable for? Well, first, for teaching. The doctrine of both the Old and New Testament. Scripture gives all the truth necessary for life and godliness. It's also good and profitable for reproof. It's, it's, this is what reproves wrong behavior or wrong belief. The Scripture exposes the truth, exposes sin, that's why Hebrews 4, in the context of the word of God, says all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. This is why you get reproved by scripture and you have to deal with it via confession and repentance. The Bible is also profitable for correction. That's restoring you to a right condition. That's basically putting someone who's been fallen back on their feet. You reach down and you pull someone back up on their feet after they've fallen correction, and training in righteousness. Scripture trains you in godly living. Scripture, yes, corrects where you're wrong, but it points you in the right direction. Psalm 119 verse 10 says, with my whole heart I seek you, let me not wander from your commands. And then it goes on, verse 17, 2 Timothy 4, uh, 3.17, that the man of God, that is the official preacher of divine truth, that the man of God may be complete or competent, able to do everything you're called to do, thoroughly equipped, able to fulfill the calling of godly living and ministry. And this can be applied to every Christian. The word equips all those who are yielded to Christ. If you are yielded to Christ and you, you avail yourself of the word of God, you expose yourself to the word of God, you actually hear it and and take it in and actually live by it, you will be equipped. Leaders and all who follow, you'll be equipped to fulfill the calling of God in your life for godly living and ministry. The word of God is essential. This is your food. This is bread. You know, Ezekiel was told, eat this book. You must have it. It's food. It's bread. We need to eat God's word continually. And by the way, in both large and small doses, not just small doses, not just large doses. You can do something like take one verse and thinking about it for a month, or you can read through the Bible in 90 days. You can, do, you can do many things when you expose yourself to the word, and it's not like well, it's only one prescription. You can only do it this way or that way. It's just expose yourself to the, the essential word. Take it in. Eat it often. It is sufficient, it is authoritative, it is clear, it is reliable, it is essential, you must have it. And then the last one, D, is it's divinely decreed doctrine. It's from God. It's inspired. 
in its teaching. Divinely decreed doctrine, it's God's written teaching. It's, a, it's like a big billboard reminder. It's like a, you know, a memo reminder that just comes up on the screen every day to remind you that you are assured of your place in Christ. You're assured that God loves you and that you are forgiven in Christ and that you are accepted in the beloved and that you are uh, secure forever in him. This is what the Bible reminds you. Earlier back in my life, I did not value the word of God. I was tossed to and fro by every wind and wave of doctrine. I was not anchored in the word of God. I searched high and low for something to give meaning to my wandering life. I might have shared this before, but before I was a believer, I tried horoscopes, I tried biorhythms, I tried Eastern ideas and Buddhist ideas and humanistic philosophies. I tried moralistic therapeutic deism, which a lot of professing believers do, where you try to tack God onto a self-centered life. I was aimlessly wandering. My soul was not at rest, but I knew something. I knew the Bible was different. As an unbelieving, unregenerate person trapped in a prison of my own making, I knew the Bible held sway like like nothing else. And the reason why is because I knew some people that had been transformed by God and by the Holy Spirit through the word of God. Their lives had been on display before me. Me, I didn't want the word of God to rule over me. I didn't want God to rule over me. I wanted my way and I got it. And it brought me only misery and failing. There were little fleeting bits and pieces of happiness. But it wasn't until I trusted in Christ alone for salvation, believed the gospel message, that I had, by the way, had heard preached over and over again. God had to just break my stony heart. But then I knew the peace that passes understanding, peace that no disappointment can extinguish. I knew what the psalmist said in Psalm 62, verse one, my soul finds rest in God alone, my rock, my salvation. I knew joy and hope and forgiveness and freedom from condemnation, the tyranny of sin, all the things we've seen in Romans. I knew the depravity of my soul that we see in Romans one through three. I knew the sufficiency of Christ that we see in Romans three through six and on, and the struggle of Romans seven, and the blessed freedom of the children of God in Romans eight. And I began to grasp it day by day, month by month, year by year, how much God loves me. That I'm an adopted child of God. I'm comforted in Christ. I'm confident in him. I'm clinging to him. And I know he clings tighter to me and he will never let me go. And he is sanctifying me and I will be glorified one day. See, when I acknowledged the lordship of Jesus Christ, I knew the word of God was true and from God and something I had to have every day. It is sufficient, it is authoritative, it is clear, it's reliable, it's essential. It's divinely decreed doctrine, but if we stopped there and said, I know these things now and I can just go my way and do whatever I want, we're gonna be in some big danger, some big trouble. See, there is a constant devotion needed I want to point you to two more things and then we'll be done. But the constant devotion needed is what really links up the idea of what you know and then what you actually live. 2 Timothy 3.14, go there again. As for you, continue, abide, remain in what you have learned and been firmly believed, convinced of. And continue calls for and refers to a constant continual habit of your life. 
Knowing from whom you learned it, Paul reminds Timothy of his godly heritage. It's the plural, the whom. And he says, you know, you're taught by me and others. And he says how from childhood you've known the sacred writings, literally from infancy. Some of you, some of us, we didn't know the word of God from, from young age. We maybe got saved as teenagers or, or you know, full-grown adults. But Jewish parents had the duty to teach their children the law from their fifth year on. Timothy's mother, Eunice, his grandmother, Lois, taught him God's word from early on, so he was ready to receive the gospel when he heard it. Go over to the first three verses of chapter four. There's a charge. It starts, I charge you. Literally, I command you. Now this is to Timothy, and he says, with a forceful order here, in the presence of God in Christ Jesus, who's to judge there's an urgency there. He's about to judge all believers, all servants of the word. We're accountable to Christ. He is to judge the living and the dead. That's judge in a general sense. It includes believers and unbelievers, the sheep and the goats, and the great white throne judgment of believers. And he says, I charge you by Christ's appearing, literally his shining forth on his kingdom. Preach the word, the entire written word of God, his total revealed truth in the Bible. Be ready in season and out of season. Be like a soldier ready to go to battle, like a guard on the alert for surprise attack. This is telling us faithful preachers of the word of God must proclaim the word of God when it's popular or not. And pop culture and tradition and acceptance and reputation in the church or community must not alter our commitment to proclaim the word of God. We must exposit the word of God in season and out of season. There's only two options there and you have to be ready for both. It means all the time, Bring God's word to bear on the consciences of people. That's our task. That's our life. Now, if you're saying, I'm not called to that, then you called to hear and understand the word and to believe the word and to obey the word and to submit, not to the preacher, but to God Almighty. Paul says to Timothy, reprove, literally convince people, correct behavior or false doctrine using careful biblical argumentation to help someone understand their error. Rebuke, correct motives, and lead to repentance and exhort the positive side of preaching. Exhort, teach, instruct, and do it with complete patience in teaching. In Titus 2.15, he says, declare these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. We are... We are not of this world. Christians are not of this world. If we explain away or refuse to believe certain parts of the Bible, we're being shaped and influenced more by the deceptive God of this world than the holy God who made the world and gave us his perfect word. Do not disregard what God has said. This is for preachers. This is for our elders able to teach. This is for aspiring future leaders. This is for all of us because we're all called to be hearers and doers. The word of God is going to speak through frail and faulty people. What, what our job, my job, and, and if you teach the word in any setting, your job is to soberly make sure that what you say doesn't hinder or get in the way of what God said. We're not, I'm not up here saying, hey, what does this verse mean to me? My job is to tell you what it means to God. Bring it to bear on your life. You figure that out, then we obey it. And that should make a huge difference, a huge difference. We should hear the word. If, if, if we don't hear the word, if we don't listen to the word and be expositional listeners and receive it, be that if you have a short attention span or a long attention span, if we don't hear it, then we're not going to be able to understand it and believe it 
We're not going to be able to, to take it to heart and obey it. We need to obey the word of God. What, what good is it to say, hey, I believe all these things about the word of God and to walk out the door and not apply it in our hearts and our lives and our homes and in God's strength live it and, 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 and do it. What good is it to not reflect the biblical teaching regardless of outside pressure to conform to this world? We want to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. We suffer. We, we've talked about suffering recently. The word of God, the spirit of God uses the word of God to minister to your soul in suffering. Take your pain to Christ. Let him apply the soothing word. We battle sinful thoughts and temptations. We battle the fear of man. Apply the word to the wounds that sin inflicts. I've been trying this the last couple days. Try to extinguish sinful thoughts with the word of God within three seconds. You know what entertaining those thoughts gets you. Don't give them time to develop. Flee temptation by looking to the faithful God and applying his commands. Escape the, the fear of man by doing what God says. Ecclesiastes 12, 13 says, The conclusion of the matter, fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. We need to hear it. We need to understand it. We need to obey it. My job, read it, explain it, apply it. All of our job, hear it, understand it, obey it. And at the end of the day, we must be devoted to God's word. We must know how amazing it is, feel the need to know it, and actually do what it says in the power of the Spirit. Lord, thank you that forever your word is settled in heaven. By your grace, Lord, I pray that your goal in our lives would be met all for your glory. And Lord, may you change us by your sacred word. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.